pray together. Lord, as we come to you, we confess that we're weak, but we are glad that you are strong. And we ask you to give us of your resources so that we understand your word and so we're conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, look upon us, Lord, in our need. Um, remind us of your promises. You said you'll never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for your word and your spirit. And we trust you now to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. John Akwari, did you ever hear of him? He was a long-distance runner in the 1980 Mexico City Olympics. The marathon was uh, 42 kilometers, and at about the halfway point, around kilometer number 19, the runners jostled one another, and a number of them fell, including John. Uh, as a result of that fall, he significantly cut his leg, and one report says that his knee was actually dislocated. Medics encouraged him to quit, and he kept on limping, hobbling, um, walking the rest of the way. The winner of the race completed the marathon in two hours, 20 minutes, and some odd seconds. It took John until three hours and 25 minutes and seconds mark. When he came into the stadium, uh, there were a few people there who congratulated him, and suddenly the cameras now turned to this runner who was the last of any to cross the finish line. Why did you keep going, they said. And his reply, my country didn't send me 10,000 miles except to complete the race. Now, nobody expected that he would run into the troubles that he did, and nobody expects that we are going to run into the troubles we experience, right? And the Lord calls us in the middle of the troubles to persevere, as he did. Living in the middle of life's troubles is what this passage that we just heard read is all about. If you have a Bible and can turn to it, it's 2 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 30 down through chapter 16, verse 14. And uh, the way that I would like to approach this is to, first of all, just do a flyover quickly of the whole section. And after that, then we'll come back. There are kind of uh, three mountain peaks that pop up, uh, relational mountain peaks. And we'll touch on each of those. And after we've done that, we'll try to uh, put together how David responds to his difficulties with a view to then giving one practical application for you in the week that's ahead. How's that sound? Okay. So let's do this flyover. David is in deep trouble. It wasn't enough for him to commit adultery with Bathsheba and then uh, have her husband Uriah put to death. Subsequently, his oldest son Amnon rapes his sister Tamar, and Absalom, the second oldest son, after about two years, murders Amnon because of the violence that he'd perpetrated against his sister. 
Absalom did more than that. He aspired to take David's throne. And that's what we find at the beginning of chapter 15. Uh, Absalom wins the hearts of many of the people in Israel. And David, you look at verse 14 of chapter 15, David realizes it's time to flee. And there are a number of different conversations that then take place between David and other bit players in the narrative. They all kind of come into a, uh, um, a focus on verse, at verse 30. We are told that David now is going to leave the city of Jerusalem and he starts up the Mount of Olives. we find him interacting principally with three people along this travel log that brings us now to the end, chapter 16, verse 14, and that concludes, if you notice, by, with the word that David now comes to the uh, River Jordan and there he and those with him are able to rest. And the point of that is just to say this seems like a bounded section. It's a travel log. We have David interacting with Hushai, first of all. We just heard of him a few minutes ago. And then Ziba, and then after Ziba, Shimei. Why make a big deal out of the fact that this seems to be a self-contained unit? You can think about the way in which writers put together their works as something analogous to um, stringing pearls uh, to make a necklace. The writer has an overall theme that he's developing, uh, corresponding to the string, and he does that by individual beads that are self-contained units that somehow support his theme that is the whole necklace. Another way to think about these three uh, interactions that David is going to have as, is not so much as uh, bricks next to each other on the floor, but rather as overlapping tiles. There is a relationship between them. And it's at least chronological. So we're going to take a look at Hushai, a friend, and then Ziba. And Ziba, what kind of person is he to David? Come see, come saw, you know? It's a little... Flaky. And then finally, Shimei, who is an out and out enemy. And we want to learn from David. So let's just go back now and look at a little bit more of this overview. Verse 15 uh, of, I'm sorry, verse 14 of chapter 15. Uh, David says, Come on, we got to get out of here. Uh, because if we don't, Absalom will overtake us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And it appears as if David is um, expressing some kind of concern for the city of Jerusalem. And then if you just skip down to verses 25 and 27, you see some interaction between, between him and Zadok and Abiathar, who are priests. And what does he say of them, uh, to them? He says, well, carry the ark back into the city. And here are the, the important words. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have 
no pleasure in you. Behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. And what we want to draw out of that is just David's attitude. He's not demanding his way. He's not saying it has to be my way or the highway. He's willing to submit himself to God's providence. And now come down to verse 30, and this is the beginning of the travelogue. David is going up the Mount, uh, uh, Mount of Olives, and we read there that he, weeping as he went, was barefoot with head covered. All the people who were with him covered their heads. They went up, weeping as they went. And we say to ourselves, what's this picture? Certainly one of grief. This is not a party. And we wonder, why would David be weeping? Well, obviously, because he's being driven from Jerusalem. But in addition to that, we could imagine him also weeping because part of what's happening is directly related to his failures, foolish choices. And this kind of behavior is also uh, the kind of thing that a person would do if he were expressing repentance before the Lord. So all the people, along with David, they go up weeping, uh, head covered. And then, verse 31, uh uh-oh, there's a word about Ahithophel. Now, what do we know about him? Strange name, but something else. He was David's trusted advisor. And we are told in verse 31 that he is among the conspirators who have gone over to Absalom's side. And what does David say about this turncoat, Ahithophel? David's reaction is to pray. Do you see it? Oh, Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And we might just pause here. Where do you tend to turn when you receive bad news? It's a question worth pondering. And David turns to the Lord, and we might say to ourselves, David, what, how can you imagine the Lord would want to hear anything from you after all the sins that you have perpetrated? All the foolish choices you've made. And yet David is trusting in the Lord's goodness, his unfailing love that he had promised to him and that he promises to all his people. Where do you go when you get bad news? It's an interesting detail that the narrator provides for us, isn't it? He didn't have to include that, but he chose to because he's trying to help us understand how this is applicable for our situation. All right, that brings us now to the first peak. We've just done a little overview. Now the first peak relationship that pops up is David's uh, to Hushai. What do we know about him? Well, he's uh, described there in verses 30 to 37. David is going up Mount of Olives, He gets to the top, again, a narrator's detail. This is a place where people would come to worship the Lord, and Hushai meets him, and Hushai is similarly uh, mourning. Uh, Verse 32, 
coat torn, dirt on his head. But we notice that Hushai is a friend of David. And so David appeals to him and he says, Hushai, uh, you would be more help to me if you would go back to the city. Oh. Could it be that David sees Hushai's appearance as an answer to the prayer that he's just uttered about Ahithophel? Lord, confound the counsel of Ahithophel. Here comes Hushai. Hushai, would you go back to the city now and uh, see what you can do to keep me abreast of the developments and also could you do anything to defeat the counsel of Ahithophel there in verse 34. It's also been suggested that perhaps uh, Hushai was an older man and so David says uh, look you're going to be a burden to me you won't maybe he wouldn't be able to keep up with David. In other words in time of trouble, David turns his attention to the Lord, but he also uses sanctified common sense. That is to say, he says to Hushai, please, help me. Maybe you can confound Ahithophel's counsel. Well, that's all we want to say right now about peak one. The second peak relationship is Ziba, and it's there in 16, verses 1 to 4. What do we find about him? When did we last hear anything about Ziba? Back when Ajalon was preaching about Mephibosheth. Remember? David says, is there anybody remaining from Saul's and Jonathan's house to whom I can show mercy? And then the story of Mephibosheth comes up. Mephibosheth was... Uh, cared for by a nurse. She is fleeing in another time of trouble, drops the boy, drops the little boy, and he's crippled. David says, here, I don't want him to have to be, as it were, an outcast because he's crippled. I want him to eat with me. Bring him to the palace. It's an expression of mercy. And Ziba, I want you to be in charge of all of his resources. Uh, you take care of him. So that's where we last hear about Ziba. And now comes Ziba, and he's going to help, in God's providence, he's going to help David too. He comes with supplies. David receives those and asks the question, well, what about, what about Mephibosheth and Ziba tells him this. It's really quite a remarkable comment in verse 3. Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. He said, today the house of Israel will be given back to me, uh, will give back to me the kingdom of my father. We're going to later find out that that was not a true report from Ziba. But it's interesting. Where do you suppose Ziba might have been able to get all these supplies that he brings to David? I suspect from Mephibosheth's storehouse and then Ziba comes and in effect throws Mephibosheth under the bus he says you can't trust him David and so David I think at this point acts impulsively and what does he do he says okay Ziba from now on you're responsible you you can have all of Mephibosheth's, Mephibosheth's resources that probably wasn't his best 
move. But that's what happens. The Lord provides for him, and that brings us now to peak number three. One more relationship, that with Shimei. It's in uh, chapter 16, verses 5 to 13. Shimei is not hesitant to express his attitude toward David. That's an understatement. He comes cursing, throwing rocks at him, throwing dust at him. And it's really fascinating thing, humorous, I think, uh, that he can express himself so freely when David is surrounded by military men who must have also been receiving some of those stones and dirt on their heads. He's up higher there, down lower. He's expressing nothing less than contempt. I hate your guts, David. And the reason he does is because he's loyal to Saul. He's an out-and-out enemy. And Abishai, one of David's uh, trusted men, now responds and he says, David, this is just too much for me. Let me go over and lop off his head. We can be done with this guy. David's response is informative. Please look at verses 10 through 12. The king said, what have I to do with you, Abishai? If he is cursing because if he is cursing because the Lord has said to him curse David who then shall say why have you done so and David said to Abishai and all of his servants behold my own son seeks my life how much more how may this benjamite leave him alone let him curse for the Lord has told him to it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with the good for his cursing today. This is just a very good reminder. God controls the ultimate outcome of words that pass through people's lips. And God controls not only the words that pass through people's lips, but the words that pass through people's lips that lodge in your ears. Criticism of you doesn't come apart from God's plan any more than these criticisms from Shimei came to David's ears. And it's just a good reminder David tells us that, but the reminder is this. Uh, if you're one of those people who's quick to fly off the handle or down inside, you know, you sort of uh, grate and say bad words under your breath about so-and-so who just said bad things to you. If you're one of those people, this is a great reminder. The Bible says don't take out your own revenge. The Lord's the just judge. And David here entrusts himself to the Lord. So let's try to summarize what we see in David's responses up to this point. And I want to cast it negatively. Um, first of all, David doesn't cling to a position of power. He doesn't say, I'm the king, I'm going to 
put my stake in the ground here in Jerusalem, and he's going to have to drag me out. Uh-uh. He says, let's go, not subject the city to some kind of war. And then along him he's willing to submit and what's the result did you notice how this section ends verse 14 travel log is completed they get to the Jordan David is able to rest with his people and refresh himself in the Lord's providence he takes care of this trusting one Kind of reminds me of uh, a little booklet by Tim Keller, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. If you don't have it, let me encourage you to get it and read it. There's freedom in forgetting about yourself, not making such a big deal over your own agenda. It is possible, you know, to say, not I, but Christ. Freedom of self-forgetfulness. Tim Keller. But now let me ask you this question. Why are these verses in the Bible? Crazy names, rather obscure kind of history. What's the lesson that comes out of this? Well, before we answer that question, let's just think about how the Lord has preserved that for his people down through the centuries. What would the nation of Israel, let's just take Old Testament history, what would the nation of Israel experience following this incident? Well, broad strokes, we can say a few things. Solomon, David would eventually die. Uh, Solomon would rise to power. Solomon would go the way of all flesh. After him, Rehoboam and Jeroboam would tear the nation apart. Subsequent to that, nation would be carried into captivity. There would be other troubling times for the people of God, right? And so they're able to look back on this history and see what their king, to whom God made an eternal covenant, they would look back on him and see how he chose to respond in troubling times. But beyond that, what we see in David's behavior is what the Lord has for all of his people. It's what he has for you. He wants you to regularly entrust yourself to him, particularly when you're feeling like the vice is being pressed against you. It's twisted tight. Things couldn't get any worse. That's the time to seek the Lord. That's what he wants for you. Sandhu was a former Hindu who came to know the Lord as his Savior. And he wanted to be a missionary in India. Late one afternoon, he was traveling at the foothills of the Himalayas with a Buddhist monk. It was bitter cold and snowing. Uh, the wind, uh, he described the wind as, as feeling like a knife sticking into his back. Night was fast approaching, and the monk said to him, we have to get to the monastery before it's dark, because if we don't, 
there's danger of us freezing to death. Well, as they went along this narrow path, uh, sharp precipice on one side, they heard someone down over the side calling to him, and lo and behold, they looked, and there was a man who had fallen. The monk responded, and he said, Do not stop. God has brought this man to his fate. He must work it out. We must keep going if we're to survive. But Santu responded, and he said, God has brought me to this place to serve. The monk went on his way in the swirling snow, and Santu clambered down the precipice to find the man who had broken his leg and was not able to walk. Sandhu took off his blanket, made a sling out of it, tied it around the man, got it up on his shoulders, and then struggled back up to the path and continued on his way. By the time he got to the path, the story goes, he was uh, sweating profusely, uh, even in the middle of all the cold. He trudged, trudged on in the snow um, and came within eyesight of the monastery only to stumble over something on the ground. He bent down, and here it was the frozen body of the monk who had gone before him. Later on, someone asked Sandhu this question. He said, what is life's most difficult task? And he responded this way. He said, for me, life's most difficult task is living in a setting where I don't have any burdens to carry. What do you mean by that? Well, he meant that burdens have a way of focusing our attention. Uh, they have a way of getting us thinking about the end of our resources and whether we can make it or not and what happens if we can't. So I'm wondering, which are the burdens you're bearing today? I don't know them. The Lord knows them. David turns to the Lord in his time of trouble. And we see that repeatedly in these verses we just looked at. And that's because he was trusting in his greater son and the effectiveness of the Messiah to care for his needs. And that's the one who has also said to you, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May your troubles today press you more closely to a faithful Savior who's promised he'll never leave you, never forsake you. Lord, bless your word to us, we ask. We pray that you would draw us to yourself even in our suffering. We thank you that we have this picture of David and uh, how he moved toward you in his distress. May we find solace in Christ as we look to you for hope and help in this day. We pray these things with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.